Okay, before we begin then, let's all take a moment to pay homage to our great teacher, the most magnificent one, the amazing one, the unvanquished one, the undefeated, unblemished one, he who is unfathomable in virtue, morality, and concentration, and wisdom. He who is our guiding light to emancipation. He who is our strength, the epitome of compassion, loving kindness, and all of that is good in this universe. Let us bring our hands together in veneration of the Lord Buddha. And as we do so, let us also remind ourselves that this is a moment for us to remind ourselves why we are here, our purpose of being here, our ambition, our goal. It is a moment to renew our oath to ourselves, a pledge of allegiance to the Noble Triple Gem, and ultimately to Nibbana, which is the ultimate bliss. So before we begin, let us all take a moment to now do that. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Whilst the Dhamma outlines the path that one must take, to a destination, and that destination is Nibbana, it is very important that you carefully tread that path as fast as you possibly can and that pace and that rate of movement can and will differ for each and every one but arriving to that destination is not a miracle of the Dhamma it's a miracle of the transformation that happens within you as the Dhamma seeps into your mind and begins to make a change within you. Now to put that in English, what that means is the true test of how well you progress on this path is a test that only you can do yourselves. Now we might, on occasions we have had in the past meditation programs, week-long programs, and I'm sure most of you, <coughs> all of you would have taken part at some point. We'll have the opportunity to start them again very sometime soon. We just need a place to do it, and that place is nearing completion. 
So as soon as that is ready, we will have you back. And you can spend time here, experience what I experience every day, and being in the, com the company of noble companions, noble associates, you will get to live and breathe the Dhamma. But when we have those programs, it is quite usual, quite common. We have the Q&A sessions. You know, we, we do that. We do an interview. So we ask you questions. We ask you, we throw you practical problems. And then we leave it to you to work it out. We give you challenges. What would you do if someone made you angry? What would you do if someone said you were ugly? What would you do if someone said you were pretty? What would you do if you lost your child? Never to find him again. What would you do if someone came and cut your hair without warning, without any notice? You wake up one morning and this long hair that you loved, cared for, tended to for maybe 20 years of your life, gone. What would you do? What would you do if someone threw, threw acid in your face? Far-stretched examples one might think, but these things happen. What's important is how well you can brace yourselves in these situations. So when we have these interviews, we ask you questions and you try to grapple with them and you give us your answers, your responses. And then sometimes what we do is we switch roles. So I play you and you play me. That is one of the best ways of doing this. So I speak to you and I try to convince you that I'm fed up of monk life. And now it's down to you to convince me to stay. So we, we do that. And <laughs> there have been occasions where our monks are so good at this that on some occasions, some of our devotees have had reason to go and speak to Hashemahatya or sometimes to Guru Hamdru and explain to them that they fear that this monk is actually going to disrobe and that they need help. So when we role play, I think that is one of the best opportunities for you to figure how well you have understood the Dhamma. This is what we do with our monks also. So every morning we have a Dhamma discussion and we throw problems at them. And sometimes we go off tangents and sometimes we bring up very irrational arguments purposefully. Those arguments are so irrational because we want to play hard. We want to try and test them. One of the best tests of the truth is to try to disprove it. 
when you try to disprove a truth, if it stands the test, then it has to be the truth. So that is one of the best tests we do. So I ask you to prepare yourselves because those sessions are coming along pretty soon. And whether you come along for a meditation session or not, that is life, isn't it? All these problems coming at you. So as good and sound as the Dhamma might be, as good and elaborate as your teacher might be, what is really important, this is crucial, is in those moments how you conduct yourself. So this is why I say there's hardly any point in coming up to me and asking me, or anybody for that matter. In fact, there's only one person you could ask, how well have you progressed in the path to the Dhamma, to Nibbana? And unfortunately, we've all missed that boat. So now there is no one you could ask that question from and get an accurate and precise answer. What is that boat that we all missed? Absolutely. So now it's each man for himself. So that test, I, it is important that you always do this test. You know, like when exams are around the corner, you do mock exams, don't you? When exams are around the corner, you do mock, mock, text, mock tests, excuse me. So you test how well you're prepared for it. In fact, if, you, if you're in school, maybe if you're in a class, you might even ask your teacher to give you a mock test just to check how well you prepared you are. So that might be for an exam that's coming in six months' time, maybe in three months' time. What about this test? The test of Nibbana. When are you going to get that? In how many months' time? Don't be fooled, I'm not talking about death. Because by the time you die, this chitta which I'm speaking to right now is long gone. So death is really not a worry for this, this chitta. I'm not talking about that kind of death. Nibbana is not something that you have to do within this lifetime. Does that make any sense at all? Because in previous talks I would have said, you've got very little life left in you, so you better hurry up. And now I'm telling you, Nibbana is not something you can do in this lifetime. Because Nibbana is not something for a person to do. It's not something for a being to do. It's not something for a human being to do. It's not something to be done in eight years worth of life. That is not Nibbana. That is what people think is Nibbana. Nibbana applies to a single chitta. Not to many chittas. It applies to a single chitta. An arahant is not a lot of chittas free of defilements. An arahant is a single chitta free of defilements. Just imagine someone practices the path and he's, he's very rigorous in his practice right? and then on one po- at one point he becomes an arahant. How long should it be before you say he's an arahant? How many days, weeks or years should pass before you say he's an arahant? Tell me. Five years? Ten? Twenty? 
Or is it days? A couple of days? A week? How much time must pass before you say he's an arahant? In that moment, right? So then is that not evidence and proof that an arahant is in a chitta? Because if a week must pass before you say he's an arahant, then I would accept the fact that, or I would accept your argument that an arahant is made in a week. But no, the moment the mind base is free of defilements, the next chitta that is born is an arahant chitta. So we are talking about chittas. Now when I say chitta, you need to understand what I mean by chitta. Otherwise none of this will make sense. But you are all regulars, you've all been coming here forever. So I believe you understand what I mean when I say chitta. It is the instrument, it is the instrument that helps you to mind what's going on. It's an instrument. Like the tongue is an instrument to help you taste, and the eye is the instrument that helps you see. The chitta is the instrument that helps you to mind. And what is to mind? Five things taken together, we can say is to mind. An event has happened, you receive that event, you register that event, you recognize that event, you respond to that event, and you perceive that event. When these five things have happened, you say, the mind has happened. That is the purpose of a chitta. So if that can happen without defilements, that is a chitta, that is an arahant chitta. How many of those before you can call that man an arahant? No, because there are no arahant men and there are no arahant women. There are no arahant children, no arahant adults. An arahant is not, does not have a size, does not have a weight, has no color, has no gender, has no height, has no hair. So those of you without hair, you're closer to arahanthood. <laughs> that is not what I mean, of course. The question of having hair or no hair is irrelevant when we talk about arahanthood. The question of how big you are or how slim you are has no relevance. The question of whether you're a man or woman has no relevance. The very fact that you feel that you're a woman, the very fact that you perceive yourself as a man is evidence that more needs to be done for you to become an arahant. So if you feel that you are, you are a female arahant, then what you are are anything but an arahant. You are very much a female. <laughs> and in the same vein, if you feel you are a male arahant, hmm, then you are anything but an arahant. As a matter of fact, you are a male, but not an arahant. An arahant doesn't perceive them as a female or a male arahant. But stood in front of the mirror, they will recognize that this chitta arises in the body that is conventionally referred to as a male. Isn't that just wonderful? You don't recognize yourself as man or woman. So then, whose side are you on? Let's vote for men's rights or women's rights. Who do you think an arahant votes for? Which camp does he find himself in? Which movement does he join? 
which revolution does he does he head? Hmm? Does he fight for men's rights or women's rights? <laughs> we need to understand where we are heading and what our destination is. Otherwise, you know, as we trek a path from here to there, if we don't know our destination, then we'll end up somewhere. Won't we? If you don't know your destination, you'll end up somewhere and you think that is my destination. Because we're all going somewhere. Imagine we never met for a second. Just imagine we never met. Can you do that? You must faint now. Hmm? Imagine we never met. And then imagine you never heard the Dhamma. Okay, so you're that person X days ago, weeks ago, months ago, years ago, whatever that X might be. Okay, now I'm asking you a question. Where are you heading? We've never met. You've not heard the Dhamma. Okay, you're that person that many years ago. Where are you heading? Somewhere. And that somewhere is very different for all of you. One's heading to the train station, the other's heading to the kitchen, the other's heading to the, to the bus station, the other's heading to the airport, the other's, the other's heading to the, uh, what do you call, the cemetery, the other's heading to a hotel, physically I mean, the other's heading in the direction that their parents want them to be, go, the other's heading in the direction that their wife wants them to go, their husband wants them to go, their friends want them to go. We're all like, you know, just running around like headless chicken. Don't know where we are going, but we just have to go somewhere. Imagine if you had a, had a robot and all its logic was in, in a circuit that was enclosed in its head, right? But the machinery that kept it running was in its torso, so the, the body, and it's got a power cell, a power pack. You switch it on, so the legs are moving, always taking it forwards, but you break the head off. Now you just have a robot that's moving, no idea where it's going. Won't it get somewhere? Certainly will. It will get somewhere. So if somewhere is okay, if anywhere is fine, then we don't need to be here. We are all here because just anywhere is not good enough. Agreed? You're not happy about just getting anywhere. You're not happy about just getting somewhere. You need to know where you're heading. You want to be somewhere very specific. You want to be heading somewhere specific. You want to be heading somewhere where your problems will be solved. You can be peaceful. You can have a peaceful night's sleep. You can rest and relax. Because you know wherever you were heading and the things you were doing to get there never offered you that freedom, that lightness, 
this is why you kept looking and eventually our paths crossed. And so we are here. So the true test of how well you are progressing down this path and if the Dhamma is really working its magic on you is always going to be one thing and one thing alone. And that is how you face those challenges that come your way. So what I say is, at least what I'm trying to get across to you is, when you, if you're serious about this, if you're serious about what you're here to do on a Saturday, then it's important that that mindset, that awareness, that eagerness, that desire is there throughout. More times than not, it's important that it is there. What I ask you to do is to ensure and practice that this, this mindfulness, this mindful awareness, mindful of whether you are aware. That is what I mean by mindful awareness. Be mindful of whether you are aware of the fact that your purpose is to attend Nibbana. I'll say that again. Check always that you are mindful, that you are aware that your purpose is Nibbana. Because without before you listened to the Dhamma, before you were here, before you got here, before we met, you were mindful that you were aware that you wanted to become a doctor. You were mindful that you were aware that you wanted to become whatever, a father, a property owner, a rich man, a successful man, a businessman, a mother, a teacher. That's all you thought about. It was always there in the center of your life. Your life revolved around it. Do you remember when you first became a parent? Those of you in the room who can relate to this. Right? When you first became a parent, Right? And as you were approaching, or maybe, maybe just a, a few weeks to maybe a couple of months before you actually held your child in your hands, right? if you remember that day, if you remember that time, you'll recall that the, the only thing you could ever think of was that. That coming, going, doing, whatever you were doing, in the back of your mind, you were always thinking about that one thing. So you were mindfully aware that you were to become a parent. That's all you thought about. Yes or no? That's all you thought about. Whether you were the mother or the father. Well, the mother couldn't think of anything else because she has to carry the child with her all the time. But the father, no different. Always mindfully aware that I'm about to become a father, I'm about to become a parent. Mixed feelings, ups and downs, all of it. There were good days, there were bad days, there were emotional days, emotionally up days and emotionally down days. But they were all days thinking about what was going to happen. And then as you became a parent, from then on again, that can only continue. You were so mindfully aware of what was going on. Because your purpose had taken a different route. 
your purpose in life. Up until then, you just needed to become someone, but now that someone became very specific. You couldn't be a, just a general someone, you had to be a very specific someone. There were expectations that were set upon you by your family, by society, as well as yourself. You remember these days? What about when you had an exam around the corner? Again, you were very mindfully aware of that. A big test coming up, a big exam coming up, a life-changing exam coming up, right? You had that, you were mindfully aware of that. Or maybe when you thought you wanted to go abroad for a while, maybe settle down, whatever. That was what you were mindfully aware of. You know, the big things happened in your life whenever that happened. Or maybe when you wanted to buy your first car. Or maybe when you were looking for a house. You're mindfully aware. That was all that was going on in your mind. Do you remember those times? Why am I just making stuff up? You were there, right? You know what I'm talking about. Now, if you can remember those situations, those circumstances, and the thoughts that flooded your mind back then, my question to you now is this. Now you're here, you're here and you say, you proclaim that I want to attain Nibbana. Are you equally mindfully aware that your purpose is Nibbana? Or is it just a passing thought that comes into your mind on a Saturday morning? That is what I want you to think about. The reason you were successful in getting yourself that car was not because you thought about it only on a Friday afternoon. That is why you got it. The reason you were successful in getting your promotion was because that is all you thought about. Because the mind is a magnet. It attracts what we call vipaka. So that is why when the mind is focused on something, usually, more times than not, those things tend to happen. You've heard the saying, right? When you set your mind at something, you can go and achieve it. So if there's no person achieving, if there's no doer, then how come those things are achieved? What happens is your mind becomes a siphon. It almost becomes like a vacuum that begins to suck, it begins to attract, that draws on the energies that are required to make something happen, something manifest, something materialize. That is why when you set your mind to something, usually it happens. Be that a good thing or a bad thing. You can premeditate. You can prepare yourself mentally. Affirmations, you've heard of these things. Right? They say if you want to become someone, wake up every morning, look up at the sky, look at the gods, right? Or make a firm will and say, I will become this, I will become that if it's the last thing I do. I will break this habit if it's the last thing I do. Right? These are some things that motivational speakers, positive thinkers, they're always going on about, affirmations. Today, through the lens of Dhamma, we can explain to you how they work. It's not because the gods hear you every day. Oh, it's fine, just shut up, I'll get it done for you. <laughs> That's not what's going on. What's going on is, they're tuning their mind. Because the mind is an instrument that attracts, the mind base is an instrument that attracts Vipaka. As I said, it's like a siphon, you can turn it whichever way you want, like a dish antenna. You've seen those dishes, right? You probably have one yourself. If you want frequencies from this area, you turn it that way. If you want frequencies from this side, you turn it that way. 
Right? So whichever station you want to tune into, whichever satellite you want to get signals from, you turn it in that direction. In much the same way, you can tune, you can turn, you can rotate, you can adjust your mind to get your desired outcomes. So if you can go back in your life and, and, rec and, and, and identify those moments where you really wanted something and you really went for it until you got it, you pushed for it until you got it. You know, we call them the go-getters. Right? When they want something, they'll go get it somehow. People who make things happen. This, this is, this, these are people who we call successful people in life. What do you need to become be successful? The four simple ingredients. I always talk about it. You need an inspiration so you know where you're heading. You need motivation so you can get up on your two feet. You need discipline to do the things that you need to do to get there. So a plan that needs to be enacted. And then finally determination so that when there are tough times and rough patches, you can get over them despite the hardships. So if you have those four things, and as I said, a plan, a proper plan to get you there, you will get there. Is that magic or is that logic? It's pure logic. It's pure logic. So you see, armed with the Dhamma, now you don't need to, you know, look at someone who's achieved something and go, oh, how I wish. This is the place where you can make wishes happen. Whatever it is you wish. You want a trip to heaven? I'll tell you how to make it happen. You want a trip to hell? I can tell you how it happens. I can make your wishes come true. I can tell you how to make your wishes come true. I don't have a magic wand, but I have the logic behind it. Whatever you want. You want to fly with the birds? Come and tell me your wishes and I'll tell you how, how to make it happen. You want to swim with the fish? In the vast oceans? Just come and tell me, I'll tell you how to make it happen. You want to walk with the dinosaurs? Tell me. Just come tell me, I'll tell you how to make it happen. You want to walk with the fearless? Tell me so, and I'll tell you how to make it happen. You want to walk among the victorious? Just let me know. Do you want to be a king or a subject? Do you want to be a poor man or a beggar? Do you want to be a rich man or a philanthropist? Just tell me. Whatever you want, we've got the recipe. We need a plan. Once we've got the plan, we just need four things. Why is anything possible under this sun? It is because the mind is capable of achieving anything it desires. Absolutely anything. If it wants to stop being a mind, it can do that also. Huh? <laughs> yeah. If the mind wishes to stop being a mind, it can do that also. Eventually it will happen to all of you. First you have to mind your own business and then there will be no business to mind. What is Swami Nasi going on about? I mean, is he speaking Greek? 
This will make more sense to the regulars, which I think most of you are, because we connect bits and pieces from all over the place. Every Saturday we make, we make something new, right? So we go to the fridge, open up, see what we have leftovers from last week and the week before. Open the pantries and see what's in there. Bits of leftovers from this, that and the other. Bring it all, put it in this one cooking pot and see what happens. But my point being, just as you are able to achieve anything you set your mind to, what, it, what, is it, what does it mean to set your mind to something? It's not simply, I want this. It's not that. If you set your mind to something, you can do it. I agree. But setting your mind to something is not simply, oh, I'd like this. Oh, how I'd wish for this. Oh, how I desire this. Oh, how I want this. Oh, if someone could simply come and serve it to me on a plate. Not that. There is no plan, there is no enactment, there is no putting that energy into action, nothing. I mean, you know how when you set your mind to something it can happen because there are things you have achieved in your life by doing that. So therefore, it is not right for you to come and ask me, not that any of you have, but I'm just saying, in case you want to, you feel like you want to come and ask me one day, it's not right for, me, for you to come and ask me, Swaminas, I've been practicing, 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 and practicing. How come I'm not making any progress? My simple answer is, sir, you have not been practicing, 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 practicing. Therefore, you have not made any progress. Because I will not believe that when there are causes, there is no effect. then I have to be a disciple of you. I have to be your disciple then. I practice, 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 but Nibbana doesn't happen. So what you're saying is, I cause, 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 no effect. Do you hear that? Right, I'm his disciple, all right? So I don't believe this nonsense. If there are no effects, it's because there are no causes. And if there are effects, it's because there are causes. There is no other reason. So why might you feel that you're not making progress as you'd like to? I'm, I'm trying to lay out those facts plain and simple and bare in front of all of you. That is for the simple reason. The same vigor and determination with which you wanted some of the things that you did in the past to achieve those things successfully are not being applied in this context. That is why. And I'm not just talking to the lay people here. I'm also talking to the monks, to the Anagarikas, whoever, whoever's listening to this. If you're not making progress, that's because you're not doing what you need to be doing. That's why. If progress is not happening at the pace that you want it, it's because you're missing something. Something's missing. Maybe you're not mindfully aware. If you're mindfully aware, you're always looking for the right ingredients to come together. Perhaps you don't have the inspiration. I can tell you why that might be. 
If Saturday morning is when you catch up on your sleep, then that might be why. Hint, hint. Then you won't get the inspiration. Because I'm trying to point the destination. There, 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 there. You're like, there, 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 there. <laughs> then you won't get the motivation. Because that has to come from the teacher. When these two things begin to settle in your mind, the magic, the compounded effect begins to take place. And discipline starts to appear. This can all be explained, pancha indriya, pancha bala, all of these things. The five forces, the five energies, the five powers, these all can be energied in these simple terms. You need them. That's why he said so. It was, these are not nice-to-haves. These are must-haves. These are when you have, it'll happen. That's what these are. So when that begins to happen, you will have the discipline. Because you will see, oh yes, I need to get there. If I don't get there, I have to suffer like this. And I don't want to suffer. And the motivation will keep you going forward until it becomes natural for you to keep going forward. At some point, it becomes very natural. Stopping becomes unnatural. Moving becomes natural. Now you have set yourself on a discipline. That discipline will keep you going forward. And the further you go, the quicker you will become. That is what happens. Because the further you go, the further you can see. The faster your pace, the more progress you make. And every step you take, you shed aside some of your defilements. If you, if you make one micro inch forward, by that much you have shed some of your defilements. Because on this path, you can't go forward and not shed defilements. That's not possible. This is a bit like, have you seen where those, those places where you, where you drive your car and then they, they wash and they shampoo it? A car wash? Actually, I just said car wash. And so you, you have, but drive through car washes, not where you park and then some, you know, people come and wash it, but a drive through car wash, right? So you can't move forward and not be clean, can you? If you're the car that's going through it, you can't move forward and not be washed or shampooed or you know, cleaned in some way. You can't stop that. It's inevitable. So in the same way, as you move forward on this path, it is virtually impossible for you to, be, for you to remain with your defilements. It's not possible. That happens. So what must you do? The same things you did to get the things that you have today. to buy that first car, to get that first job, to work on that promotion. And when you wanted a loan, remember how earnestly you went after it? How you decided that until I get it, I'm not gonna stop. When you wanted to get your child to a good school, remember the energy with which you push for it, 
Until it happens, I'm going to keep pushing for it because I'm a father. I'm a father. I have to give my child a good education. So I'm trying to remind you, you're a mind. You have to free yourself. But that is so easy to set aside and, and think to yourself, someday I will do this, but right now I'm a father and so I have to do what is right for my, for my, for my child. So see, if you can apply yourself with the same resilience, with the same energy, with the same power with which you applied yourself to achieving the things that you have done so far. Anagarika Mahatmas, for instance. Do you remember how much you struggled to come here to make this jump when everything was working against you? Anagarika Mahatmas, do you remember how much you struggled to come here? to fight all the forces that were pushing back against you. The Swami Nuances will have gone through that. You achieved it not because it was served on a plate to you. You achieved it because you worked hard for it. You worked your socks off for it. And so it happened. Now how is Nibbana going to happen then? In the same way. But it's not a struggle at the same time. We need to find the balance here. It's not a struggle at the same time. It's not a like I'm going to do Nibbana and nothing else from here on. Because Swami Nuanza reminded me that Nibbana is what's, what I need to do. So right, you know, I'm not going to wash the dishes, I'm not going to wash the clothes, I'm not going to sweep the house, I'm not going to look after the children or feed them or anything. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do the school run. I'm just going to go home and from today onwards, do my Nibbana. No, that is not what I mean, because that is not Nibbana. All I'm asking you to do is be mindfully aware that your purpose is Nibbana because you are a Chitta. Right now, you are a Chitta. That is all you are. You are a Chitta. Someone asks you, who are you? You are a Chitta. I'm a Chitta. That is the truth. Everything else that you perceive are things that a mind perceives when it, when it doesn't stop at a chitta. When it doesn't stop at a chitta, it compounds. Chitta becomes mana. Mana becomes manasa. Manasa becomes hadaya. Hadaya becomes pandara. And so on. Let's not worry about all that. But the fact is, when you don't stop at a chitta, you begin to perceive what you perceive right now. That I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm a father. I'm a child. I need to go to school. I need to go to work. I need to fight for my rights. I need to build the country. I need to run the office. All these things. That's when you don't stop at a chitta. So the distinction that you need to be able to make is there are obligations that you have to fulfill as a member of the society, as a good citizen. What am I doing right now? Am I not a chitta? So what's a chitta doing here preaching the Dhamma to you? What gives? Why is a chitta here? Because this is an obligation. But if you ask me, 
I am not a monk preaching the Dhamma right now. I am just a chitta. But what you might see is a Swami Nuhansi preaching the Dhamma. In fact, this is just a chitta. We are speaking on two levels, that's why. It's like elements and atoms. At the atomic level, you just have atoms. But the elemental level, you have the elements. And if you go one level above that, you have the molecules. If you go one level above that, you have substances. You have liquids, you have gases, you have solids, you have substances. If you again step down a few levels, you have nuclei. You have electrons, you have protons, you have neutrons. See, you can go up and down, whichever way you want to look at it. You can either go macro or you can go micro. But ultimately, we are simply a chitta. You are just a chitta. As I am, I'm just a chitta. But duties and obligations have to be met, so a chitta will set itself on a path to fulfill a duty. But to do that, a chitta just has to do what a chitta has to do. How do you build the Great Wall of China? One wall at a time? Then, one brick at a time. Yeah? It is those bricks that eventually make up the wall. So no one ever built the wall. Would you agree? No one ever built the wall. You can't build a wall. A wall happens. A wall manifests. All you can do is place a brick in its right position. So in the same way, this chitta just, just does what it can do in this moment. Over a period of time, you can observe it and say, Swami Nuhasi gave a sermon today. But Swami, there was no Swami Nuhasi to give you a sermon. A chitta just came and did what a chitta can do. A chitta can't do a sermon. It doesn't live half the time. It doesn't live long enough to do a sermon. Now I need you to start thinking about yourself in those terms, at least when you can. Not only when I'm talking to you about it. Because that's okay, and you can do that when you have a, when you have a teacher with you. So when you're here, your teacher can guide you, remind you, come to your senses, do what you need to do. But when you leave this place, so Nibbana is not something that will happen on a, Friday, on a Saturday morning, that's what I'm saying. You might ask, why does one have to become a monk? for that very reason and that very reason alone. When you're not a monk, when do you do Nibbana? Saturdays. When you're a monk, when do you do Nibbana? 24-7. That's why. When you wanted a car, when did you, when, when did you apply yourself to get in that car? Yes, walking into the showroom, paying, that, paying the money, getting the keys, that happened in a, minute of, in a matter of minutes. Agreed, maybe an hour at most. But from the moment you set your mind to it, right, in your mind you were planning for it, weren't you? You were always mindful about it. You were thinking, what are my options? Where do I go? Who do I get the money from? What sort of car do I want? Where can I go and find one? Is this the right model? This is the right make? Right? Has it got enough horsepower? Right? Is, has it got all the features that I want? You were thinking about all those things. 
And so with every thought that, that, that took place in this mind of yours, you moved one step closer to get into it. When you want to go on holiday, every thought you take defines that holiday. You know, whether you, just, whether you start thinking about the things you like or the things you don't like. It defines your holiday. So right from when you start, you take your laptop, maybe open up TripAdvisor, look at, you know, what's the, what are the hotspots this year? Where do people go typically, right? From that moment to actually going and landing wherever it is, putting the key through the hotel door and opening your room and walking in, right? All of those things will take you one step further. So you can't say any of, those, any of that planning didn't contribute to me being here today. It was not just getting on a plane and flying to Hawaii that got you to Hawaii. You needed to plan it. You needed to shortlist. Even the shortlisting was part of it. First you came up with top 10, then you settled down on the top five, and then the top three, and then the top two, and then it was a tough choice between the two of them. And ultimately you decided, let's flip a coin. Go ask a friend. Then you decided, right, it was going to be Hawaii. But all of those steps contributed to you making the, coming to that decision. The same applies here. I mean, what I'm asking you to do is do what you do best when it comes to this. Do what you do best. You're all so capable of setting your mind to something and going for it. I've known some couples, right, who, uh, who, who weren't able to conceive. The length that they went to, to have a child, incredible. Why, I mean, why do we have test tube babies now? Because people go that far when they want to have something. They won't stop at what God, had, God has given them. Hmm? They challenge God. They try and negotiate with God. Right? You've given me a womb, but if that, that doesn't work, how about we do it in, in a test tube? Hmm? Is that fair game, God? So they keep pushing. Until he says, yeah, yeah, fine, have it. That negotiation, until you, want, until you get what you want, you fight for it, don't you? Depends on how badly you want it. Some won't go that far, others will. So how far are you willing to go in the name of Nepal? Is the question. Do you see how far I'm willing to go? Are you willing to go that far? It's a matter of how far are you willing to go that will get you to your destination. That's all it is. Because you know, in the, in the, in the search for whatever you want, there will be things you'll have to compromise. Because you can't have it all. You can't have it all. You can either have some of all of it, or you can have all of some of it. But not both. Most people are quite contented 
with having some of all of it. I'll have a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of this and a bit of that. Like when you go to the buffet, check your plate in hand, a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of this and a bit of that. <laughs> hmm? So you've had a bit of all. Some of all of it. Not some as in S-U-M some. Some. Another way of putting the same thing into words would be jack of all trades and king of none. Do you think I'm a jack of all trades? <laughs> no. Oh no. It's all right. I mean, that is the, that is a choice that some people make, but. If you want to become king, you have to behave like a king. It is your behavior that's going to get you there. It's not right to say, let me be king first, and then I'll behave like a king. It doesn't work like that. What advice would you have for a poor man who says, let me be rich first? And then I'll adopt the behaviors that will make me rich. Or I'll, I'll adopt the behaviors of a rich man. First, let me be rich. What, would, what advice would you have to give to someone like that? Hmm? <laughs> Who gave you that lesson? I wouldn't take that class. You just laugh at them, won't you? You'll tell them, Little one, that's not how it works. First, you have to adopt the behaviors. Then those behaviors will get you there, will make you king. See, if you want Nibbana, ladies and gentlemen, you have to behave like you are there. You have to behave like you are there. Now, put your hand on your heart and ask yourself this question. Do you, especially when no one's watching? Do you? And you? And you? 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 How about you? You need those behaviors. So if you want to be king, behave like one. Then they'll sit you on the throne. Then they'll sit you on the throne. Don't ever desire things and not be deserving of them because you won't get it. All of that is very short-lived. The only things that are rightfully yours are those that you deserve, not that you desire. He who only desires but does not work himself to be deserving of something can die desiring it. 
but never achieving it. I mean, you know, what do poor men deserve or rather desire? To be rich, are they? No. So what does desiring get you? Nothing. An empty stomach. An empty pocket. That's it. But if you want to be rich, what should you do? Adopt the behaviors. Do what rich men do. What do rich men do? Do what rich men do. Adopt those behaviors. Rich men give. They give to those who need. So that is how they become rich. They, they, they spend their time with rich people so that those values, those behaviors, those thinking patterns, they feed into them, they brush off of them. So by spending time with the rich people, you learn how to become rich. By spending time with good people, you learn to become good, which is why I'm, I say that the prison system is a complete shambles. Because when a man does something bad, where do they go and put him? Among bad or even worse people. And expect them to come out? Good. <laughs> huh? That's why we went and talked to the prison systems. We talked to the officials in the prisons. We did. And we're going to start doing something about that. Because there's no point just talking about it, right? If you're not doing something about it, might as well just keep, keep your mouth shut. If you can't do something about it, just shut up. And let people who are doing something do something. But we don't just talk, we walk. So we went and met with the officials. And we agreed with them to let us work with the prisoners. Let us do some work with them. Let us talk to them six months before they are released from prison. Six months before they are released from prison, we start to do a program with them. Three months before they are released from prison, they start coming here. A month before they're released from prison, they come and stay here. Still, imprisoned. But they come and spend time with us. What do you think will happen when their prison term finishes? They'll walk away. If they walk away. Whether they walk away or they stay here, they'll have become good men. Now that is a prison sentence that is worth its weight. That is worth the paper it's written on. 
Otherwise, you just put a lot of bad people among even worse people and you just beat them up, expecting something good to come out of it. We don't see a point in that. But they have, if there's no alternative, then that is what they must do. I, have, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't speak against it. What I'm saying is, there are other ways. You know, you, you take a robber and you, you incarcerate the guy and you go and put him among murderers. So all he did first was thieve. Now he knows how to kill. So if you want someone to become good, you've got to put them among good men. If you want someone to become rich, you've got to put them among rich men. Your associations will determine where you get to in life. This is why noble companionship is so vital. That is what we are doing with noble hearts. We keep them amongst noble companions. Because they live, they breathe, they talk, they walk, they eat, they sleep among people who are, who've got nothing else in their mind but Nibbana. Imagine if you lived and breathed and walked and talked and slept and did everything among people who just wanted nothing but to become rich. What do you think would happen at the end of, say, one year? They'd all be very rich, stinking rich. They'd be. Now do the same among, with, with people. You know, I'll give you another example, something you can relate to. Imagine you put a bunch of guys among another bunch of guys and what they want to do was build their bodies up. Hmm? Bodybuilders. You go and leave them in a gym a whole year. You feed them, but that's all they can do, work out. At the end of that year, what were you going to see? Hmm? Bodybuilders. Men twice their size as they went in. That's what you'd see, because that's all they do. Build their bodies up. So every time they eat something, that food, the energy that they get from their food is utilized to do that. If they take a breath of fresh air, it is utilized to do that. If they take a sip of water, it's utilized to do that. Whatever they talk, they'll talk about that. Whenever they walk, they'll walk for that. When they sleep, they'll sleep so that they can rest, get some rest for the following morning's workout. Hmm? So at the, end of, at the end of that term, the matter is not who goes in, what will come out. Is a man with a, a, a nicely built body. Now that's the bodybuilders. What about mind builders? Where do they do that? Mind builders? You know where. So the, like the bodybuilders do that to build their bodies, the mind builders do that to build their minds. Eating, sleeping, walking, talking, sitting, whatever, sleeping. All of it done for one purpose and one purpose alone. To build their minds up so that they can be infallible. So that they can be, they, can, they are unbroken, unshattered. Unshaken in the face of adversity, in the face of hardship, nothing bothers them, nothing annoys them. 
That is what we are about. That is what we are doing. So, again, I ask you to do one thing and one thing alone. You know, I know you can only come here maybe one day a week. So when you are here, be here. So to be, while you are here, you need to be alert, you need to be awake. You need to be mindful, you need to, be, you need to allow the, your teacher to make a change within you. Right? And I can only do that through your ears and through your eyes. So you need to allow me full use of your two senses. Full use, exclusive use of your two senses, your eyes and your ears. So when, when, whilst you're here, I can't have you watch anything I don't want you to watch and I can't have you hear anything I, I don't want you to hear. So if you're here, you have to lend me an ear. And if you're here, you have to lend me your eyes and let me do what I want to do with them. Don't worry, I'll give them back to you when you go. But while you're here, you have to be like that. You've made a conscious choice to be here. Right? No one's forced you to come here. You made a conscious choice. But while you're here, you've got to do that. But that is one-seventh of your week, maybe, if not shorter. You don't spend 24 hours here. So it's not really even one-seventh of your week. And if you have the additional poor day in the week, maybe two days of the week, but the majority of it, you're out there. So in these moments, when you're out there, you have to be mindfully aware of what you need to be doing, what you have to be doing, and what you're doing right now. You've got to be doing this then. You've got to be doing what you're doing here when you're out there. Otherwise, Nibbana won't happen. That much I can tell you. It won't happen. Yes, lay life, you can attain Nibbana. You can. But it's with the lay attitude that you can't. A lay attitude is not going to get you to Nibbana, whether you're in lay clothes or whether you're in monk clothes. It won't get you to Nibbana. You need the right attitude. And the right attitude is, what is my purpose? I'm a mind. I'm a chitta. What is my purpose? My purpose is to free myself. That you've got to do, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to do that. You know anyone, no one else can do it on your behalf. You've got to do it. Either on the spot or later. As you, as you enhance your practice, as you become better at it, you can do it right then and there, when it happens. Right? What, I mean, what I mean by happen, happening, what are these happenings? When defilements take over. Now, these defilements can, be, can become very subtle and they'll become very, you have to become more and more sensitive as you go forward. You know, nowadays, Guru Swami Nuhansi might, might instruct us, might, might advise, advise us to be mindful of whether you sense that you are an identity. I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm asking you to do is be mindful if you get angry. Let's start there. Be mindful if you feel that you desire something. That if you drive past a pastry shop and you think you'll see the pastry shop and go, hmm, I'd like some of that. That's a moment where you have failed yourself.
If you pull up and you walk into that pastry shop, right, and, and the thought series that follows on from there, remember this is not, this is a chitta, it's gone mad. If you only stop there because you wanted something, you were hungry, fair enough, because the chitta has obligations to fulfill. Like me, I have obligations to fulfill, which is why I'm here right now. Duties. So the chitta has also duties towards the body. Right? This is the rent it pays for allowing it to be here. Isn't this, you, don't you have to pay rent? You've got to pay rent. You've got to pay rent by pulling down on your diaphragm. You've got to pay rent by shoving things down your throat. You've got you to pay rent by cleaning this. You've got to pay rent by fixing it when it breaks. This is all rent that you have to pay. If you don't believe me, then try not paying rent for a few days and see what happens. They kick you out. Don't they? <laughs> in fact, if you decide to stop paying rent, then they'll take you to the hospital and plug things in through your veins. So that rent is paid. You've got to pay rent. So, anyhow, if you stop by the pastry shop because you're hungry, that's fine. We can put it into the account of I had to pay rent. Yes, agreed. But you only had lunch an hour ago. You're not thirsty. You, or you're not hungry. But you stop because you're peckish. The smell of a sweet pastry. Mm. Mm. How about the, the aroma of a freshly baked patties or a Chinese roll? Isn't that nice? Or maybe as you walk past a cake shop, the colors that lure you in, the smells that lure you in. And they'll give it wonderful names, you know, come and chit-chat and eat at the same time. Come and have a, come for a talk. I'm not dropping any names, I'm just saying, come for a talk, come for, come for a bit of a chat. I mean, that, that's the new marketing strategy. You get, you sell people things by creating the environment in which they need them. Have you got anything against that? No. That makes good business sense. So let them go ahead and do it. We also use those strategies. We give you a free roti. So you come here. <laughs> We've also been to business school. <laughs> oh, if we knew we would come to that Swami, so we would never have had that roti. <laughs> if we knew that this is what we'd have to hear from you. <laughs> So we also have good business strategies hmm, to get you to come in on a Saturday. So, I mean, that is, that is, these are the business tricks, the strategies. They're not bad. It's just a business strategy. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is what happens within you. That's what's wrong. And nowadays you walk into something like that, you know, it, it's more like a living room, isn't it? 
It resembles a living room rather than a shop. You know, next time you walk into one of these places, just, just, just observe. They'll really make you feel at home. Why? So you spend more time there. The most precious thing that you have. The cake is just a little bit of money, but you're spending more than that. You're spending your time there. A chat that you could have had, that you could have had in the park, why not have in the pastry shop? Hmm? The chat that you could, have, you could have had with your friend as you walk the dog in the park, why not have in the pastry shop? That is the thinking behind it. Because when you're at the park, you know, there are the vendors. They go with their bicycles selling you ice cream. Right? So as long as the park is there, they can make their money. So they, you don't have to go to the vendor. The vendor comes where you are. So the park brings you, and then the vendor comes on his bicycle, selling his ice cream, selling his karachoru. Hmm? And you buy that. Now, let's get you to the pastry shop. But you won't go into a pastry shop because it's just a pastry shop. But if they made you feel that you were in your living room, then you feel you are at home. Now there's no reason to get out of that place anytime soon. So whilst you're there, you know, you're having a chat, you know, you become hungry because they have all the nice aromas going on there. Right? This is an untamed mind that's in a minefield. What do you expect is going to happen? Huh? They have the aromas. I mean, I mean, you know, I know that there are certain businesses and this is all legal. There's nothing wrong with it. Legal or illegal, there's nothing wrong with it, I see, as far as I see. It, the problem is not with what they do. The problem is with the fact that you have an untamed mind. That they can exploit you. And if you're okay with that, I've got no problem. But I don't think you're okay with that. I don't think so. I know that you pity yourself for falling victim for the, to this. Give me a virtual nod if you agree. Just a virtual one. You don't need to actually nod your head. Just give me a virtual nod. <laughs> I know you pity yourself because you, you are victimized. It's like you want to but you don't want to at the same time. You want to go there but you don't want to go there but you can't stop yourself. Because the tug on you is stronger than your willpower. It's a real test of your willpower. But you don't need to rely on will when you can rely on the Dhamma. Do you think an Arahant doesn't engage in unmeritorious deeds through willpower? I won't steal because it's bad to steal. No, I won't steal. I won't steal. I won't steal. You think an Arahant is like that? No. I mean, then what's the point of Dhamma? If you have to rely on willpower, what's the point of the Dhamma? <laughs> because, you know, when you have to rely on your willpower, it is something you have to do. It is something you have to do, isn't it? It's something you actually have to do. You've got to be active. You're act actively doing it when you have to rely on your willpower. So it's not your normal state. It's not your normal state. What the Dhamma allows you to do is change 
do what you do when you have willpower, but without the willpower. Means that becomes your normal state. Now you don't have to fight an urge because there are no urges to fight. Now you can make your own mind up, not based on, not, 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 not succumbing to will, not succumbing to urges. And you don't have to rely on willpower to fight that. You can make a clear decision based on a clear conscience. Right now your conscience is not clear. By conscience I mean your desires, it's not clear. You fall victim to that. So they create the environment where you come in. I mean, you, you'll see that there'll be decos, you know, table deco, and there'll be nice, comfortable cushions, right? And sofa, you can sit down. Some, some, some guy will play the piano. There'll be all that as well. Then will have the TV if you want that. I mean, it's a lounge experience. You come there not to eat. You come there to be with friends. Because when you're with friends, you don't have to leave, right? You're with friends, you're among, among friends. But if you come to eat, you've got to eat and leave. But when you're with your friends, you don't have to. Now, as I was saying, I know in some, some supermarkets, I remember doing some work on some of these things to try to understand how people lure innocent minds to get what they want. In certain supermarkets, right, they'll, they'll, they'll spray into the air certain smells, aromas, that will start to work its magic on you and you'll start to feel hungry as you walk in. Now, if you notice the layout of a supermarket, that is why they have the bakery right at the front. Next time you walk into a supermarket, have a look. If they have a bakery, so this is a, a big supermarket, right? they'll have a bakery and it'll be right at the front. Because as you walk in, you have the nice aromas, right? and that makes you hungry. So a hungry man walks into a shop. What do you think he's going to walk out of? Out with everything in the shop. Because each time he puts something into his, sh into his shopping cart, you know, it's only going into his shopping cart, not into his tummy, right? So the hunger is still there. Yeah. So that's, the worst, that's one of the worst times to go shopping, when you're hungry. You'll walk out with things you don't need. So I'll give you simple, simple advice. When you go shopping, don't go shopping when you're hungry. <laughs> what is this? Are we talking Nibban or shopping advice? <laughs> Never go shopping when you're hungry. It's like never go driving when you're angry. Because the speed of your vehicle is directly proportional to the speed of your mind. When you're angry, how do you drive? Huh? Like a bull. When you're, in, when you're enraged. Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about. You, you all know what I'm talking about. Come on. Because typically, you know, when, there's, when, when you have an argument at home, right, now the two of them have to be apart for, a, for at least a brief moment, right? But those days that was possible because you lived in two homes, but now you can't do that. You live under the same roof, right? So it's only so long you can lock yourself up in the bedroom and say, don't come. 
that after a while you've got to come, you've got to come out of the bedroom. And then still it's, it's distasteful just seeing that person because at that time, you know, you forget this is my wife, you forget this is my husband, you forget this is the man who feeds me, you forget this is the woman who cooks for me, this is the woman who looks after my children, this is the man who, who feeds us all. All of that forgotten. Because all there is is a chitta. That's why it's forgotten. And that moment, the chitta is focused on one thing and one thing alone, revenge. Something unjust was done to me. Injustice was done to me and I need, I need to, I need to, I need, I need to sort it out. I need justice. In that moment, whatever, whatever was done to you and you feel that, you know, it was, it, it was not right. Now you, you want to fight that at that moment. Now, when you're angry, don't you forget that you don't you forget your best friend? You'll say things you would never say when you're in, when you're in, your, in, a, in a sane mode, when you're peaceful, when you're calm. You'll say things when you're angry. Why so? And then why do you re later on regret again proofs that it is just a chitta? Because the chitta that regrets is not the chitta that does the bad deed. Different chitta. The chitta that is angry is not the chitta that loved. Otherwise, how can a man who loves pick up a dagger and stab his loved one? How is that possible? Because you don't have a man who loves, you have a chitta that loves. When that chitta is no longer there, whatever comes next, comes next. So anger arises in a chitta, love arises in a chitta, hatred arises in a chitta, compassion arises in a chitta, loving kindness arises in a chitta. All of these happen in a chitta, not in a man, not in a woman. So that is why I say when you go to the supermarket, right? The stuff that you pack into your shopping cart, they don't go into your stomach. So they don't, they don't feel your hunger. They don't sate your hunger. So they don't quench your appetite. Or rather, they don't sate, satisfy your appetite. Excuse me. So this is a hungry man walking into a supermarket. So everything that you see, you might think, oh, this is good, I like this. I'd love some of this when I'm hungry. And you put that into your shopping cart. You move forward along the aisle. You see the next thing. Wouldn't you like that when you're hungry? Of course. So you took back that in as well. Then you keep going along. And then the next thing. Wouldn't you like that when you're hungry? Yes, because you're still hungry. <laughs> so at the end of it, you have a full shopping cart. And they make the carts bigger, as big as they can. Because when you have a big cart, Little things in there seem negligible or negligible. But if you have a small card, right, even little things take up a lot of space. So you feel like you've got a full shopping cart, but when you have a big trolley, right, the little boxes, the little packets, you know, they just they just disappear. So it just it's like a black hole. You keep putting, it just doesn't fill. <laughs>
I mean, a full trolley always gives a nice feeling, does it not? A full trolley. A full trolley gives a nice feeling. So when you push that trolley into the supermarket, you know, you have this, you have a nice feeling when you see a full trolley. So what they'll sometimes also do is at the, at the, at the entrance to the supermarket, they'll have a full trolley. They say shopping bonanza. Discount this, discount that, buy one of this, get two of that. All sorts. See, what I need, why, the reason I'm giving you, you all these examples is to prove the point that you are just a chitta. And those people who do their psychology and they, they analyze the mind, okay, they know how to sell their wares with you. They know how to sell their stuff. Because what they do is they create the environment within your mind whereby you want those things. They create a void in your mind. You, you feel almost inadequate until you have a full trolley. They create that sense of inadequacy within you. Now it is with that inadequacy and a credit card, which when you spend, you don't know how much you're spending. Perfect. This, this, this is a perfect storm. <laughs> You walk in, empty trolley, you've just been bombarded with all these visual and auditory and sensory input stimuli, right? which is all now, you know, your, your, your blood is rushing around your body, you know, all excited and your mouth is watering uh, like a fountain and you just walk in with that. Now you, you, want, you, want, to, you want to come out a happy man because you're, you're completely depressed. You're on the verge of depression right now as you walk into the supermarket. So guess what? They have aisles and aisles and aisles full of stuff that's going to help you free yourself from that state of depression. It's a micro-depression. It's a micro-depression they create within your mind. Are they to blame? Oh, no. All I can say is, wow, masterminds. You've got to learn from them. You've got to learn from them. Now, armed with this knowledge, walk into the supermarket and see what they're doing, knowing that you are just a mind. Now, they don't understand all this stuff about it's just a chitta and all sorts, but, you know, they'll, they'll have done their psychology. Psychology is a study of mental behavior. They don't understand the root causes. They, they don't understand why people desire what they desire, but they know that people desire it is a study of the outwardly expressions. In other words, your behaviors. That is what psychology is. So that they will have mastered. They'll have studied that. So as you walk in there, they'll watch you. You know, in psychology, one of the things that they have to do is they have to take a sample, right? And they'll do the, keep on doing the same experiment, trying to see what happens. How do, how do people behave in these situations? And then they take note of that. Now they know, right? So if you do this, you get that. They study patterns, behavioral patterns. And all they got to do is it work, if it works in this environment, it'll work in that environment. So that's what they do. Are they wrong to do that? No. What they give is what they get, but that's for them. Perhaps they're trying to lure you into spending your money so that 
they can make a living out of it, but that's for them. It's not for us to judge, it's not for us to say whether he's right or wrong. My point being, why do you allow that to happen to you? Just take any billboard out there, right? Now, anytime I get to go out, you know, I, I look at them, I look at these things and it brings a smile to my face. Just, just a sense of gratitude to the Dhamma, to my teachers, right, for having freed me from falling prey to those predators. Right? Any, any billboard, if they have something that they want to sell, it could be something like, say, a motorbike. I'll ask you a question. What do they have standing next to the motorbike? A tree? A tree? An elephant? You know what, right? A fully dressed woman. Yeah? You know what? A half-naked woman. It works magic. Works like magic. And it's not just so that the men will look at it. The women look at it too. The men look at it and go, oh, how I wish. The women look at it and go, oh, how I wish. Again, feelings of inadequacy. So they're looking at that to satisfy the inadequacies. So when you look at that, you can't help but see the motorbike. I mean, if the motorbike is so good, why do you have to put a naked woman next to it? Do you have anything against them? Oh, no. All I can say is, wow. <laughs> Geniuses. Hats off, eh? that's all I can say. Well done. <clears throat> so I look at them and I, I have I, I, I can't I can't help a smile that appears on my face. Just being grateful to my teachers. Grateful for the Dhamma. Because now I know what's going on. I haven't changed the world. I've just changed my perspective. I live in the same world that I lived back then as I do now. It's just my perspective that has changed because I'm always mindfully aware. That's why. I'm always mindfully aware of my purpose. I'm always mindfully aware that this is just a chitta. <clears throat> and Nibbana for me is not on a Saturday. And it's not on a Thursday, it's every day. Every waking moment is a moment of Nibbana because Nibbana is something that is for a chitta, not for a person. It is the chitta that needs to be, is that needs to attain enlightenment. It is the chitta that needs to attain Nibbana. So in that moment, all I am is a chitta. So therefore, why not that chitta? Why do I wait for the next chitta? Why do I wait for the one after that? This chitta is a chitta that needs to attain Nibbana. 
See what I'm saying again. I mean, I'm giving you these examples time and time again, ladies and gentlemen, because I want you to do as I do, and they will. Then you will be free as I am. Because I know there are barriers, there are obstacles, there are hoops that you can't jump over to get to where I am today, here, like this. But you can do what you can do while you're there if you just have the right attitude. And if you're just mindfully aware of what your purpose is as a chitta. <clears throat> but that you got to do. That you must do. It's not a nice to do. You must do it. If you have, if you are, if you have any hopes of attaining Nibbana, it, it, it has to happen. Don't fool yourself to think that Nibbana is something that will happen, you know, the moment before your death. Someone will come and preach to you or have some Swaminasis come and chant some pity to you and, you know, it'll all, it'll all be fine then. It doesn't work like that. Bear in mind because, bear in mind that when, you're, when it's time for your last chitta, right, in this, in this existence, when it's time for your last chitta, all your faculties will cease to exist, will cease to function. And it will just be the mind door. Your sense of sound is the last to go, right? But it is nonetheless gone before everything's gone because all you have at the end is your mind door. So you won't hear anything. The Swami says can be... <coughs> Excuse me. The Swami says can chant the whole Pirit book. Not going to make a difference. They can hold your hand, you won't feel any of that. They can show you images of the Buddha, you won't see any of that. Because in that moment the mind is alone. With no refuge. If you haven't practiced the Dhamma before then, you will feel a deep sense of loneliness like you've never felt before. Where you're isolated from everything in this world, you and your understanding alone, nothing else. You won't hear anything, you won't see anything, you won't smell anything, you won't feel anything. It's like your senses will start to fail. You'll have perhaps, you know, your, your family amongst you, right? Maybe a few minutes before this moment comes. You'll hold, they'll grasp your hand and say, Mother, we are with you. Hmm? You can go and join Papa. Yeah, right. Dream on. <laughs> you can go and join Papa, they'll tell you. Hmm? Then sense of touch fades away. They'll, they'll fill the room with, with nice smells, you know, perfumes and so on. They'll have flowers, jasmines on one side, lilies on the other side, roses on one side. Your favorite flowers, they'll come and arrange the whole room. But the sense of smell goes away. Now it'll only be there for the enjoyment and indulgence of the people who've come to see you. They'll all be very happy. You know, look what we've arranged for our mother so that she can pass away in her last moments happily. Hmm? They'll play some soft music in the background. <laughs> music of their own choosing. My mother liked, mother liked to listen to this, didn't she? When she was younger. Let's play that. What they forget is down the line somewhere, she, she began to hate that music. But she went mute 
after a while, so she never got the chance to tell anyone about it. So now they're playing some, some music that the mother hates. But they're all, everyone's very happy. Look what we've done for Ami. Hmm? We came all the way from America to be with Ami. Huh? When Ami was up and about, alive, and with, you know, full of energy, they were not there to look after Ami. But now they've come to Ami. We came all the way from Australia. We came all the way from Canada. We came all the way from around the world to be with Ami. In her last moments, I'm sure it is I who she wants to be with. I'm sure she'd love her family with her in these last moments. Hmm? So they'll all be very happy that they're, they're doing what they think is right for you. But none of this is going to help you. is the only principle that will come to your, your help at that time. He who behaves in the Dhamma is protected by the Dhamma. That's it. And the Buddha says, when you don't have yourself for refuge, who can you go to for help? When you don't have even yourself for refuge, who can you go to? That's why don't rely on yourself for refuge, rely on the Dhamma for refuge. So sense of smell goes, sense of touch goes. Hmm? And they might even cook your most delighted or delightful meal. My mother likes what, uh, um, hot chocolate. So they'll have a hot chocolate for you. With you know, all the bells and whistles, sprinkled chocolate and you know, uh, caramel on top of it and, uh, and, and a wafer. <laughs> They'll have all that for you. Yeah. Here, Mama. Take, take another sip, Mama. It's your favorite, Mama. Take another sip. Just one more sip, Mama. Just to make me happy. <laughs> Here, let me sit you up, Mama. Have another sip, Mama. Papa's waiting for you, you know, Mama? Yeah, yeah, Papa is waiting for you. So true. Papa is waiting to settle a score. <laughs> For that extra relationship that Mama had, unbeknown to Papa. Papa is waiting to settle that score when she comes. That extra marital affair that she had. Now Papa knows. But this is Mama's little secret. She thinks nobody knows. I speak to you because I want you to save yourselves. In that moment, ladies and gentlemen, you know, what matters? What, what does it, you know, how, how much money you have in your bank account amounts to nothing. Absolutely nothing. All your children around you means absolutely nothing. 
nothing. Because in the last moment, now that all your faculties have stopped working, the mind is on its own. It's like you've gone into a coma. The mind is on its own. And in that moment, karma takes, takes its place. Karma gets into the driving seat. And it brings into your mind what you have practiced, what you have been mindfully aware of up until that point. If it was your children, it will bring those thoughts. So mothers, beware. Fathers, beware. If it is your money, then those thoughts will come into your mind. But remember, you want money, but there's no money. Yeah, because you're just a mind now. You're just a chitta. The chitta does not see money, but the chitta wants money. So you die inadequate. You die desiring. This is the decisive point. You die desiring. You want your children, but they're not with you because you know your faculties are not working anymore. When your faculties were operational, functional, if you, when you wanted to see your children, you could, you could see them. When you wanted to talk to them, you could talk to them, you could ring them. But now you can't because your faculties have stopped working. But that doesn't stop the mind from wanting it. Now the mind wants it, but it can't get it. Sense the mind into a deep sense of inadequacy. A profound sense of inadequacy. You want to see your estate, but it's not there. You think about, if you think about your authority, your power, your reign as king, it's not there, but you want it. If it's something that you like to eat because you've just been fed that thing. I mean, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a tradition, isn't there? When someone gets uh, sentenced to death right, by hanging or electrocution or whatever. <laughs> oh, how these things happen. <laughs> they get given a last meal. Hmm? So they can demand whatever they like. <laughs> Don't you see the danger behind that? So they die so desiring and so lustful about this meal that they want to have and that they have just had. They have just delighted their senses. And they die that, like that. It's one of the worst things that you could do to someone. It's like sealing their fate. Right now you're, 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 you're sentenced to death and we're going to give you the punishment. But just to make sure that you don't come back again. <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> huh? Just to make sure you don't come back anytime soon. How about you have this, have this bistec? Hmm? How about you have this burger? Because that is your favorite food. What a confounded death that is. So gone, gone for good.
But all of you, you know, you're going to be that in these moments. You know, this moment is going to come to all of you. And I, 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 I'm telling you, let's begin to become mindfully aware. Because if you practice mindful awareness, even in that moment, you can be mindfully aware that this is just a chitta. This chitta, like any other chitta, is simply a chitta that is here to mind its own business. In that moment, a thought will come to you. You can't help that. A thought will come to you. <clears throat> so it could be one of those things that we just talked about. Something you've spent the most of your life with. Or it could be, it could be something that you've practiced a lot. It could be something you've been thinking about a lot. It could be a meritorious deed that you might have done. Or a demeritorious deed that you might have done. It could be the Dhamma sermons that you've been coming along to. If this is what you do more, more of. <clears throat> it could be Aramaitri. If that is what you do more of. It just depends on what you've practiced. No, it's like when you, when you fall, when you're just about to fall, what happens? Your, your body automatically adjusts itself to whatever you have practiced to keep itself upright, right? And that's the same way. When, you, when you're driving and a vehicle pulls up, that is not the moment to practice emergency braking. That you'll have, you should have practiced beforehand. That's if, you've had, if you've got that practice, then that practice comes to help you in that moment. So this is why it's so important to practice this. So be mindfully aware every moment that you can. Don't leave it to Saturdays or Sundays or Mondays or Tuesdays. It needs to be done every single time, every time possible, all the time possible. So when you, if ever you feel anger, if you ever feel you feel desiring about something, as I said, you know, driving past that pastry shop, okay, or driving, uh, driving past the cinema, you see that the cinema hall, or you see the boards there saying, uh, this movie's come out, and the thoughts will start coming to your mind, I want to go and see that. That'll happen, because it's an untamed mind. But after it happens, now you are back in control. Get back in control and ask yourself, do I want to do that? Is it the chitta that wants to do this, or is this craving that's taken over? It might sometimes be unreasonable for me to ask you to do these things because, you know, living a lay life, how can you not do these things? You have to. You have to go to the cinema. You have to go shopping. You have to buy this. You have to buy that. You've got to go to the pastry shop. You've got to go to the cake shop. You've got to go to the park. You've got to go to the parties. Yeah, I understand. But at the end of the day, whether it's you as a lay person or me as a monk, we are all just a chitta. So the rules that apply to me apply to you. I mean, that's so unfortunate. It's so unfair. <clears throat> it's like in a classroom where you have children who are very intelligent as well as children who are maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe children who have special needs, right? They have, they're all in the same class and they all get the same paper. And that paper is based on the knowledge the intellectual capacity of the best students in the class. Do you think that's fair? Well, tough. That's how it is. That's how it is. I'm not a monk for the fun of it. <laughs> Trust me. I'm only a monk because there's no other choice. 
There's no other choice. There's no other choice than being mindfully aware and freeing the mind from these cravings. Because craving will finally get you. You can run, but you can't hide. You can keep running, hoping that it's not going to catch up, but one day it will. That day you're helpless. Craving will catch you. And it'll take a it'll take a fast blow at you before you even know it. You'll be off here and on somewhere else. Wherever you are, you will be in a state that will reflect your last thoughts, your final thoughts. So if you die desiring food, you will be in a place that is like that, not where you have all of it. Remember, you know, because people think that living just a rich, indulgent life is the way to be. I mean, I, I, feel, I, feel, I feel terribly sorry for people like that. It's just, it's just such, a sh such a shame. You know, like, I know that in society, now just hear me out, okay? I know in society that there are people <coughs> who are well, very well off, okay? And, and they live an extravagant lifestyle. These are the very people who don't have to struggle to make ends meet. In other words, they're the people who've got the luxury of time. In other words, they're the people who can dedicate at least a part of their life to freeing themselves from suffering. Yeah. On the other hand, you have the people who, stri who struggle to make ends meet just to keep the wolf from the door. They struggle. They don't have the time. So they have to be out and about every day, day and night working. Burning the midnight oil, they're doing night jobs, they're doing day jobs, they're doing afternoon jobs, evening jobs, they're just doing jobs. Trying to earn enough to feed the family. They don't have the time. Who do you think I pity more? The first kind. Because they have everything that they, that they want. And they can afford to be in the temple, to come to the sermons, but usually they don't. Typically they don't. Because their extravagant lifestyle and their indulgent and opulent lifestyle keeps them occupied in those things. Whereas the people who don't have much and they struggle to make ends meet, right, on a poor day, you'll see them at the temple. Because they, they, they suffer so much that they're looking for uh, you know, uh, so they're looking for a resort. They're looking for freedom. They're looking to free themselves from suffering. So they come looking for something. I, you know, all this hard work, all this toiling, all this sweat, all this, all this labor. It's, it's killing me, Swami answer. Please help me. I have my children, you know, who, who, who cry. And I've got my wife who, who know I need to look after. There are the bills to pay, right? And I have to pay the rent. Right? And it's just, just agonizing. This life is just so agonizing. Please help me. And then they come to the temple, they listen to the sermons. <coughs> but those who can, they don't. Those who can't, they somehow do. I pity the former. Because the truth is, at the end of the day, you know, an indulgent lifestyle is not going to get you to a place that resembles that.
because the more you have, the more you want. The more you want, the more you're going to get. The more you're going to get, the more you have. The more you have, the more you want. You want, and so it becomes a vicious cycle. The really fortunate people are those who have both of these. <coughs> they are the very fortunate people. They have what they need, so they don't have to struggle to make ends meet. They have enough to keep them keep themselves going. They don't have to work their socks off, right? They pay the bills. They look after the children. Send the children to a good, decent school, right? They have enough to look after their parents and to 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 fulfill their duties and obligations. And then they think, well, you know, I've, now I've got what I need. What else do I need to do for myself? And then they come. I think those people are extremely fortunate people. They have the best of both worlds. Very intelligent. So they enjoy the good merits of the deeds they've done in the past, because of which they have been blessed with material success, but they don't stop there. So they work towards their spiritual liberation. In fact, what they do is they, they make use of the money that they have, the wealth that they have, to free up as much time as possible so that they can dedicate that towards their liberation. Super intelligent people, I tell you. Really intelligent people. I mean, after all, what is money for if it doesn't help you do what you really want? Hmm? What is money for? What is wealth for if it doesn't let you do what you really want? Wealth in the bank doesn't work for you, it works for the bank. They pay you a tuppence worth because you work hard to feed the bankers. I used to work in a bank, so I know the, 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 the logic behind it. I know how it all works. You know, if you deposit a million in the bank, who worked to earn that money for the bank? You did. So they take your money and then they go and make many hundreds times fold that amount and then they pay you 5%. 10%, 15%, oh, all right, 25%. They give you 25% of the profit that they make. They keep 75%. Who earned that money? Who worked day and night to earn that money? Who, who, who sacrificed 15 years of their good, hard-working life, youthful years to earn that money? You did. And for that, they pay you 25%. And that 25% also, you say, keep it. So you can earn compounded interest. What a lovely little story. <laughs> hmm? That's the choice, right? Do you want to take your interest, sir? Or would you like to rather leave it here so that we can make more out of it? So even the interest that they give you, you say, no, it's fine. Keep it, keep it, keep it. A bank is not a charity. You are the charity to the bank. I was a banker, so I know how banks work. I don't have anything against that. I have nothing against anybody. What I have is a desire to enlighten you 
to ask you to question the decisions that you make in your precious lives because you don't have a lot of time to be making mistakes and exp doing experiments. Learn from those who have done before you. Learn from those who have made mistakes before you. Learn from those who know a thing or two. And don't invest the best part of your life working hard to earn some money for somebody else whose benefits you will never reap. Because that money you will want to, to compound. So compounded interest again stays with the bank. They go and make investments which give them, bring them 600%, 700%, 800% on some occasions. Big deals, big money, big deals. And from that they give you 25%. 25%. Are they wrong to do that? I keep saying this because I want to emphasize the fact that they're not wrong because only because they do that, you, only, yeah, yeah, you at least get the 25%. I mean, 25% on a good day when things are tough, right? But typically, in a good performing economy, the, the, money, the, bank, the, the, the government don't want to keep your money in bank accounts. What they want is to you, for you to circulate it. That's to keep the economy going. So money in a bank account deposited does no good. <clears throat> it has to pass from people to, from hand to hand. <clears throat> That's how economy works. It has to be circulated, like blood. Blood is only of use if it's circulated. No point in clotting up somewhere, it's only going to kill. Right? So, so in the same way, you know, the government wants you to spend your money. That's why in a lot of developed countries, they don't give you high interest rates. Are we here to talk Nepal? What are we talking about today? Completely off track. But I hope you're taking some lessons from this, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I've given you financial education. Uh, that's the old cow. I sold it. So, anyhow, my point being, please don't invest your life you're not just investing your money, you're investing your life to help someone else live an opulent lifestyle. And you're just happy because they tell you, you get 15%. Which you say, ah, great, put it into that account and keep it there. So that my children can benefit. You know what the children do? They also keep that. And they just keep on adding because my father was a rich man, right? So he taught me how to save. So what do I do? I also save. So I keep adding to that account. Hmm? Now the bank knows this. The bank knows that for generations to come, you will never take the money out of the account. So all they have to do is not show you the money. They just have to show you a number. <laughs> There's no money behind the number. It's just a number. Otherwise, how did banks get into such, tr such trouble hmm? when the economy crashed? How did banks get into all that, all that trouble, you know, in 2008 when the big financial crisis came? They showed a number. They just didn't have the money behind it. When they trade on the stock market, they trade things that don't actually exist. They, tra they trade on what might happen. They trade on what might happen. That is a commodity. You know, like this saucer is a commodity. The possibility of something happening can be traded. Huh? 
the possibility of something happening can be traded. What sits behind that is your money. Again, I've got nothing against the banks. Let the banks do what they want to do. What I'm saying is, were you born to feed the bankers your blood, set and tears? Or were you born to free yourself from suffering? So don't fall into that trap. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by those big numbers they show you and say, this is how much you have in your bank account, as I once was. And then when I worked at the bank, I realized what's going on. That opened my eyes. But far too many people, they spend their, their lives earning for somebody else, but spending their life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, where did that come from? Because it's never enough. I mean, they, you know, it started with Bitcoin, and, but now they have a whole plethora of cryptocurrencies. And they keep mining. Like, you know, where do you get them from? It's just a computational program. It's an algorithm. And at the end of that, they spit out, ah, here's a, here's a, here's a crypto dollar. Hold it in your hand, there's nothing. It's virtual currency. But people invest their real hard-earned money and their labor, their sweat, blood and tears, time that they could have spent with their family, doing the things that they love, time that they could have spent with their mother, with their father, with their children, time that they could have gone for a walk with the dog, just taken a breath of fresh air, or at least gone to the pastry shop. Building a virtual kingdom where you are a virtual king. And as a matter of fact, there is nothing there. But whilst you are still alive, whilst you are living in this world, it, you, can, you can have the feeling that you have accomplished something. It's just a feeling. It's just a perception. There's no substance behind it. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. I don't know if any of you feel offended or anything, but it, it's, not, it's not to offend you, anybody. I, I myself invested in cryptocurrencies when I, was, when I was a layperson. Fortunately, I pulled out before things started to go, go south, and that was a worthwhile investment because we used it to buy the, buy the land for the monastery way back then. So that worked out fine. But I wouldn't recommend anyone doing that for the purpose of life. Now I see that there's, there's bigger purpose. There's a bigger purpose. You don't need to buy another land. This land is enough, right? So you're here. Now do what you're here for. Free yourself. <clears throat> right, I'm afraid we've got to leave it there for today. We have Dakina here to go and take part in. <clears throat> when you see the Swami Nuhansas come in the Parahara, ask yourself, is that a Swami Nuhansas? Try and see it through the lens of Dhamma. Try and see it as a vipaka. See a walking happen. Don't see a Swami Nuhansi walking. Try and see a chitta in operation. Try and see Rupa and Vedana and Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana working in conjunction. Like a, like a well-oiled machine. See how that happens. But there's a chitta. And that chitta is based in a mind base. And there is compassion, yes, but in a chitta. There is loving kindness, yes, in a chitta. There is charity, yes, in a chitta. There is goodness, infinite amounts of goodness, yes, in a chitta. That you must see, but don't see a Swami Nuhansi. 
Don't see a sentient being because there is no sentient being. That is only what you perceive. So with that insight, rejoice in today's meritorious deeds. Then you will not only earn the merits out of it, but also have progressed through mindful awareness on the path to Nibbana. All up for that? Right, then let's conclude by transferring the merits and let's go and join them. All right, let's take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. Let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Sripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhansi as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery, the Anagarikas and the Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may, by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May, by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. There is also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. And may by the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who've helped, supported and assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the merits to the devas, brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhadasasana. Let us transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful lie over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may by the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey of sansara, to those who have helped, supported and assisted us in every way, shape or form they could. Let us also transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. And may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe rejoice in these merits that we have acquired today. 
It has transferred these merits to those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, forest fires, earthquakes, and so on. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey of sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them. And may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, may they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And let us all resolve that may, by the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may by the power of all the merits we have acquired the, throughout the day, you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become an arahatan vahanse, an arahateran vahanse, in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. And the members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you all. Raga Ginnamidatnva Dvesha Ginnamidatnva Moha Ginnamidatnva Nibbana parama sukhayan sukhita taravetnva Nibbana parama sukhayan sukhita taravetnva Mamada siyalu loka siyalu satnvayo Nibbana parama sukhayan sukhita taravetnva Nibbana parama sukhayan sukhita taravetnva Nibbana parama sukhayan Sukhita Taravetnva Raga Gini Niveva Dvesha Gini Niveva Moha Gini Niveva Nivansapa Labeva Nivansapa Labeva Nivansapa Labeva Tunduange Suisi Ananta Mahaguna Belen, Silo Loka, Silo Satteoma, Nibana Paramasukayan, Sukhita Paravetva, Sadu, Sadu, Sadu.